Welcome to Average Joe Meets the UK's Everyday Entrepreneurs, where we talk to all kinds of business owners across the country about how they got started and what it's really like to run their business, so that we can learn and be inspired to start something of our own. This next episode is the story of Treen, a vegan clothing retailer and brand for the conscious shopper. The products it stocks and the suppliers it works with have to share its values of being ethically made, cruelty-free, organic and vegan, and often use recycled materials. The company itself is always looking at how to make a positive impact to the world and is currently donating 10% of its sales to the Fashion Revolution, a global community whose manifesto is to produce clothing that doesn't exploit people or the planet. Treen is both an online retailer and has a beautiful shop in St. Stephen Street in the heart of Edinburgh. Behind the company is Cat and Harris. They found themselves with great corporate jobs and salaries living it up in Hong Kong in their 30s, but also starting to question their purpose in life. This interview explores everything from their decision to quit this comfortable existence and come back to Scotland and set up a business together, to some really useful detail about the actual steps they took to set up Treen, from coming up with the business idea itself and then a business plan, securing the physical store, which was much harder than I thought it would be, considerations around payment terms with suppliers, the online side, Brexit frustrations and the significant investment needed to set up a retail brand. There's a whole load of pragmatic advice to budding business owners in this episode from the pair, so I think it's particularly useful as well as a great story. Thank you so much, Kat and Harris. Hi, Kat. Hi, Harris. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. I'm not sure if you know that I recorded the trailer to this podcast mentioning I'd be going as far as Scotland to talk to business owners with you guys specifically in mind. So I'm very happy you said yes. Yeah, and, happy um, to be here. <laughs> and thank you also to Donald who put us in contact. Um, otherwise, I'd have to go on searching for another Scottish enterprise. So um, I'm very happy <laughs> yeah. to be here. I think the concepts and values of Treen are wonderful. Get the killer wardrobe without killing the planet with items that are vegan, ethically made, cruelty free and everything. But as a business and as everyday entrepreneurs goes, yours is definitely not for the faint hearted. Um, I can see you've had to have sourcing stock that fits your values, taking on a premium shop in Edinburgh, building a brand, building an e-commerce facility. There's so many things to your to dream. Um, and it'd be great to touch on all of those, as I think listeners would be really interested in how you did all that. But after about 10 interviews now, I'm seeing a bit of a pattern emerge that there's been quite a few key events, interests, jobs people have had or were fired from, people they've encountered along the way to set up their business that looking back have had a really strong influence on the kind of business they've set up and the fact they did set up a business. And I wondered if that might be true for you guys and for Treen and whether you could reflect on some of those key things. Yeah, I think... Kat, you can start off on that in, in terms of the reason why Treen came about. Uh, but I, I think, as you've mentioned, there is so much depth always to those answers when you speak to people who set up their own business. I'm sometimes hesitant even to use the word entrepreneurs because when you set up a business, you really are just setting up a business and you hope, obviously, that it succeeds. Um, but very much, there is a reason Treen was set up. And, you know, Kat, you can probably jump into For why. For sure. Um, so really... I, uh, I've always worked in fashion retail, so I have nearly 10 years experience prior to Treen in frontline fashion retail and um, working in different countries across the world. I struggled to find, I struggled to be a customer and to shop from brands that matched my values. So a couple of, maybe about four or five years before starting Treen, um, I moved into a vegan diet. I wanted my life to be more sustainable and just all around kinder. Um, and it's just, it, it was kind of an amazing experience to discover that and then you read up on it more and I'm educating myself on it more and I'm thinking this is who I am this is truly who I am but I'm going to work uh, for another company which I can talk more about later um and I'm upselling a you know baby well a, a, like a lamb's leather jacket to someone being like this you just need this in your wardrobe and I'm upselling something I don't know quite literally where it was made and who by so they got closer and closer together and I'm thinking this doesn't align with me anymore. Um, so I thought, you know, and I couldn't find anywhere to shop that was like that. Um, so I thought, 
why not with a lot of help from my partner Harris you know he's very encouraging to me and was always like you literally knock your pan in on a daily basis I was happy to work 60 hours a week to get the results to meet the targets but it was for somebody else and didn't match my values so why not go out and do it yourself was his question on the daily on the daily so you know Trine then we're thinking hang on well I've got all this experience in the kind of what the customer actually sees the customer facing side the product how they interact with the brand five senses all of that and I can just you know I'm thinking I'm a very optimistic person I'm thinking I can just learn the rest it'll be fine Harris is there like well okay well I'm getting involved in these values now too as well they're aligning with me I think it's who I am as well I have 10 years experience in like, I, I coach brands to do this. I work inside brands. I do the nitty gritty. I do the financials. Hang on a minute. We've got like the two halves of a brand start here so we can do this. Um, so it, that's basically why we set up Treen. We lived in Hong Kong at the time and decided we need to do is make or break. We stay or go. Yeah. Uh, decided to come back to the UK, which is where we're both from, from Edinburgh and thought that if we moved back we had a place here um so we could kind of that we own we could move straight back into that apartment that cost would be pretty low for us to then you know basically live off savings for a year mm-hmm. and figure out what the hell dreams gonna look like and try and make it a reality yeah 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 so i think that that really is exactly it you know that's uh we we knew we wanted to set up a business we're sitting in hong kong both with very corporate jobs. So mm-hmm. I worked for a big four accountancy firm, KPMG in Hong Kong. Kat was working for Reese, who are, you know, obviously a big multinational brand as well. And we were paid very well. We had a really good lifestyle, really good lifestyle in Hong Kong. We absolutely loved our lives. Yeah. But kind of got to that point where we're thinking, do we do this for the next 20 years? Yeah. Or do we do the thing that we've chatted about lots? And yeah. The, the problem at that point was Hong Kong is a very expensive place to live. So, you know, you can't just quit your jobs and try and set up a business in Hong Kong. You could maybe do that. But, you know, because the cost of living is so high, you wouldn't really have much, I guess, runway to set up that business. And so because we had this flat back in Edinburgh, we love Scotland. We love Edinburgh. I think the quality of life in Edinburgh, we kept, you know, coming back on our holidays and thinking this is a great place. So, yeah, we quit our jobs with no business plan whatsoever and flew back to Edinburgh. And then kind of whilst when we got back, we started thinking, right, well, what is this business going to be? And six months later, we'd kind of come up with a train plan. And then in January, probably 2019, mm. that's when we started. And it was funny because the the there is nothing that will light a fire under your ass more <laughs> than both quitting your job and being like, oh yeah, remember that thing that we were gonna do? That is yeah. bold. You can't follow yeah. back to your company and be like, I've changed my mind because yeah. you know the people I was telling in my job, they were like. Uh, you know quite literally people on the phone are being like I know you want to go and set up what was it like a vegan cafe or something and I'm like no I want to like transform my life um I want to dedicate my life to this and make my career about this choice that I'm making so no one will understand I feel what especially the job you're leaving they won't understand but you really have you've made your bed so you're gonna have to lie in it and it was then sort of became about uh so it needs to be extremely good to one, prove these people wrong, but I have a concept of that my whole life since school. And just to, yeah, to like make it work yeah. and to show like, see, I told you it's it's this good. Yeah. And it is also doing all these amazing things, helping people connect with sustainability, helping people live um, more sustainable lives through their wardrobes and connect with understandings of what is modern slavery? What does that even look like today? How does that connect with my wardrobe? So, yeah, it's, it's been a very exciting journey, that's for sure. Yeah. Wow. So that so that was January 2019, you're together. And it sounds like you you kind of quite a meeting of minds there as well, of, of you both wanted the same thing, because that's quite intense, been sort of living in the same flat, not very. knowing what you're <laughs> going to do. Yeah, very. Harris was amazing, because obviously, I guess I am the brainchild of the actual idea like what Treen is and what it will you know visualizing what it will look like to a customer to walk into our store or website Harris was very good at saying to me but what else but what more can it be 
because I, I won't lie to you, I had like three or four different business plans and I kept going back to what I guess out of all four would be the easiest one. Yeah. Oh, no, I'll just do this. And then if it transforms into the ultimate, which is what Trina is today, I will, I'll figure that out when it comes to it. Because my ultimately fear was taking over my mind and I'm thinking, I would love to say that I do that, but I don't think I have the capabilities to do that. Um, but yeah, that's where Harris was so supportive of but you don't need to have everything. And that's where I can come in with the, the fill the other gaps yeah. and we can work as a team and we can create it together and kept pushing to say, no, we need to do the big idea. Yeah. I, I can't wait to listen to, I think some of your other podcasts because very much from a, you know, we're two corporate people who have quit their jobs in search essentially of trying to enjoy our lives, our work lives a little bit better. And then also probably, from that sustainable background, trying to make the world a better place as well. Mm. And I, I do read a lot now where you get some people saying you, you, it's not as easy as it sounds to make a career out of your passion. And I think now a lot of things you see on YouTube or on Instagram, people are saying, oh, just do what you love to do. Yeah. And I think it's not as easy as that. And I think sometimes as well, you can end up hating what you loved because yeah. it's so difficult to actually build and you know, have a successful career in something you love doing. And yeah. maybe we'll get onto that a little bit more that obviously running dream is very, very difficult. It's a challenging environment. You touched on it. The two of us are heavily involved all the time. And then we go home and all we do most nights is chat about train as well. And then we wake up and we chat about train. Mm -hmm. So it is a bit all encompassing. And I, I just, some people will be able to handle that. Some people won't, I guess. Yeah. I think, um, yeah, just just as, as an aside to that, when I say the question, was it all worth it? Everybody does take a little breath. Yeah. <laughs> and then they do say yes, but they do ponder. So we'll ask that question later. <laughs> yeah. um, um, so to take so you're doing your business plan. Um, you've got your year off or funds for a year, and and you're together. So how did you go from? And I think a lot of listeners will want to know how do you go from a piece of paper? And often people don't even know what a business plan is. I know you can download templates and things like that. Mm. But wh where did you go from there then to to start to take step one and two and three to get to? So I think very much that is my skill set. So. <laughs> Laterally towards the end of my KPMG career, I was doing, I was in our strategy department, essentially. So I was helping big businesses generally come up with new plans to either grow the business or cut costs or various plans, essentially, to improve their business. And so when we came back, um, I, I thought about setting up a business around that, you know, helping people to do plans, because I think it's still something that's incredibly poorly done. Yeah. Um, across a lot of startup businesses in the UK is that their plans aren't very good. Um, so we, we put together a really good detailed plan, you know, full competitors analysis, you know, whole supply chain analysis, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I think the best thing about that is you don't necessarily have to follow that plan, but it really hones your mind in on what is the business that you want to set up. So I, I think once we had that down on the piece of paper, it was relatively easy to hit the ground running. And where Kat is very, very good is she's on Instagram, she's on the internet looking at brands constantly that fit with her values. And then through that, you can obviously start to put together, this is what the store is going to look like on day one. These are the brands I want to stock. Um, a lot of the brands we stocked initially were, were quite small scale as well. Again, five years ago, the sustainable fashion industry was in a slightly different place to what it is now. Um, you know, everyone's involved in sustainable fashion now with H&M. Everyone's kind of trying to release their own green lines, essentially. Um, but pulling together that list of products at the start was very key. And I think Kat did that very, very well. The next and hardest bit by an absolute mile in Edinburgh at the start was finding a store and... I think in affluent places like Edinburgh, stores, good stores, go off market. So they never come up. You'll never be online looking, you know, shop to lease in Edinburgh. Right. Good ones are never available. So we had to do a lot of knocking on doors. And, you know, we went to the areas that we liked and we would speak to the other shop owners and try and, you know, 
find out who landlords were, when people would be moving out, for example. So um, it's re- really, you can't sort of go to like a central database and say, okay, who are the landlords? You have to sort of... Well, you can to a certain extent, but it's not as simple as that. And I think during uh, 2019, that sort of era, everything was still on and up. You know, the economy was still very, very much growing. And I would say in a growing economy like that, uh, everyone's setting up businesses. There's no shops available. People are doing really well. You know, the people in those shops are doing really well. I think now, for example, in Edinburgh, like most other cities in the UK, you see a lot of to-let signs as well. Um, So I think right now it's probably slightly easier to find a shop. But the flip side of that still in Edinburgh is the best shops don't come up. They still won't come up. You need to figure out if you want a certain shop, you need to really put in a long game plan to get it. And and we did that. And I think we're very fortunate. We, we had a pop-up shop on the street we wanted, which was great. So we had three months in this pop-up shop. And while we were there, we obviously got friendly with all the other shops on the neighborhood. And uh, one of the, the other business owners says, look, we are moving out of this shop in about eight months' time. Um, we'll put in a good word with the landlord. And basically that eight months then was us spent essentially grooming the landlord uh, and also getting our pitch ready. Mm. And then we, we did, we pitched the landlord and we got uh, our shop, which is a fantastic, you know, it's a prime location in probably one of Edinburgh's best shopping, independent shopping districts. But again, it was difficult. We had to put a lot of effort into doing that. And I think some people think, oh, maybe it was easy to get that shot. That was definitely the hardest bit at the start. Yeah, and and would... when, you, when you say pop-up shop, the, the first bit about the pop-up shop, was that going into an empty shop? And then So pop- that was, um, to clarify, that was where we launched from. So that was our first, our website, our Instagram, our you know pop-up shop, our brand, all went live at 10 a.m. on June 1st. And that was us ready. That's us. We are a brand. We've done sneak previews before, but the pop-up space was, um, it's a fantastic concept actually. And I would strongly encourage anyone, you know, whether you're hesitant to go for a physical space, it is a hell of a lot of work and you have to be a type of person to want to be in a store every day, but to do a pop-up, check, check yourself, check what it would be like for the customer, pretend. I always call it like a we've done five or six pop-ups now, but it's playing shop. You're getting to like be a bit of a kid again and play around with interiors and layouts and all that. But back to your question, it was, yes, it was a pop-up. It's an empty space, but the concept of the store is that you can hire it for a pop-up. So there's been, I don't know, 20 or 30 since after us. And we were the second to ever go into the space. So it was still very unknown of what it actually is. Mm -hmm. And the brand before has been in there for six months. So we had a lot of people coming in like, oh no, they've closed. I was like, no, it's a pop-up. And still, it's interesting. It's not that long ago, but a lot of people are like, a pop-up? Like, what are you talking about? Certain generations, just no clue. Why would you set something up to then abandon it? Um, But it was fantastic for us. I feel we really got the the concept of what a pop-up is and and the why, and it worked very well because we were launching. So it, I mean, it was 150 times a day. Hi, this is our brand name. This is what we do. Of course, I'll tell you our story. This is my background. This is what this top is made from over and over and over, which to be honest with you personally for me, because I was working on the sales floor, it every time I'm sharing that story with someone was ringing home why I've done this. And then they purchase and you're like, Jesus, is this actually working? Like <laughs> almost quite often in those first three months, I was like, I just kept thinking something like awful would happen or someone would realize that, I don't know, something that we've done is actually fake, even though it's not or whatever, you know, just thinking it almost feels too good to be true. But I would come back to that as well. So that was a three month long pop up. Mm. And we quickly, quickly realized that I was almost completely useless running the shop. So I'm not selling anyone any clothes. (laughs) There was one day there was bagel sales. There was no sales, and I was the person running the shop that day. Uh, That's the common denominator. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Quickly, Kat, obviously, we figured out right, Kat needs to be in the shop. So, for that three months, Kat was in the shop pretty much seven days a week for three months across the summer. And again, you know, that's something you've got to be willing to commit to to that sort of stuff. You know, our view was like, if we're going to pay for this pop up for seven days a week, we should be open seven days a week. The flip side of that is that someone then needs to be in there seven days a week. 
Um, and, you know, obviously as a result of that, I think by the end of that three months, Cat was probably a little bit burnt out. Actually, Again, that probably in hindsight, we shouldn't have done that. There should have maybe been a day off a week or we could have figured something out so that, you know, when we closed the pop-up, it was sad, but it was almost a little bit of a relief as well. Um, and we didn't have anything necessary when we closed that pop-up, there wasn't a new store to move into yet. Um, so again, you know, the, the flagship store that we've now got was still about six, seven months away at that period. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so we, again, just through knocking on doors, essentially managed to find another space that the landlord allowed us to rent temporarily, which there's a good story behind that. Yeah. So this, I think the like it's really nice to for me to revisit all of this um on the podcast with you because what the biggest takeaway what worked so well for us was as Harris said the knocking on doors prior to our pop-up I made a point of going around every single person in the area purely just to say I am opening a shop on this street it is like it's not threatening we're this is what we do I love these three things about your brand and you know making a point of learning their name checking out their website really trying to get to know them. I want to be part of your community, but yeah, why should you just let me in just because I'm opening a shop on your street? We're now all very good friends and that's what, where we've been recommended these stores off the back of it. I don't think if we hadn't, I think if we hadn't have done that, it would have been very different. We had a lot of referrals in the area from, you know, we've opened on the street and the conversations happening in the stores around us are, have you seen that new store, Treen? Have you seen the pop-up? Well, you haven't been in yet. You've got to go. I met the girl like a month ago or three weeks ago or whatever. And, and that really, and that turns into sales quite literally. So that really did help us out a lot. And to have that community around that's done it before you was very, I felt very like supported by that. Um, funny story with the, so we had a, between our launch pop-up and our flagship, the kind of year in between, well, eight months plus a bit of lockdown <laughs> was um, also on the same street, yeah. which we've kind of ping-ponged around on. A nice size, not huge, just across one floor. Um, but, you know, it made sense. So I borrowed a ladder. I went across to this store and I remember saying it, it was closed at the time, unfortunately. It was um, due to the owner being very unwell. So it had, it had to sort of force close. And I'm going over there and I saw someone in and I said, hey, you're the only person open on the street. I really, really need a ladder because we're opening tomorrow and I have to get this thing up on the wall. And of course she's there, like no problem at all. Take it, keep it for like the first week. I can't believe you're opening this and that. We talked about fashion and what her brand used to be and, and you know, the spot that she's in just now and, and all that. Fast forward five months and she's packing up the shop People obviously are walking past saying, oh my God, there's a shop available on St. Stephen Street. I think that person's leaving. You know, get the van, like we're, go talk to her, this and that. And she said to somebody who I actually knew, who then texted me to say, I tried to get this shop off this woman. And she said, I will only recommend one person. And it's that girl that was in the pop-up across the street from me. Aww. And I then am like, excuse me. And so she was like, if you don't know this already, you better give her a ring. Yeah. And I was like, I don't even have her number. So I was like, I fly around here on like speed of light. Like, hey, uh, someone told me something and I want to know if it's true or not. Yeah. And she was like, yeah, can I give you the landlord's contact details? Yeah. And they're like, this shit doesn't happen every day. This is insane. Yeah. Of course you can give my contact details to him. Please, please, please. Yeah. Oh, you know, real nice. life, I'm helping to coordinate a friend's wedding that weekend and we're like okay let's get really drunk tonight and have fun and then tomorrow morning we have to meet the landlord first thing in the morning I have to get the space yeah. um and we got the space yeah and that carried us through it was we did a rolling contract for a couple of months because I had no idea you know we needed to just know that that big store the flagship was going to actually happen this would work as a backup if it didn't yeah. um and then it took us through lockdown as well yeah. Um, which so it became like a stalker and a fulfillment center which was so so fantastic so truly yeah advice would be I cannot recommend enough integrating with your community yeah. and I guess it goes along our brand values as well it's the way that we behave it's the way our team behaves do the right thing by the people on your street um you know there was there's been there's always gossip and things going around about different people and I think people look in too much to surface value of what's going on yes that store was closed and maybe there are stories behind that but I, I think it's just nice to be a good person and give people the benefit of the doubt yeah. ultimately I needed the ladder to hang some rails and she really really hooked me up with that 
And then we have this cool relationship off the back of it. That's amazing. And and so when you're then courting the landlord, I, I, I sort of naively think, well, he's got a price for rent. Yeah. And you say, yeah, we can pay that. Is it more than just that to secure yeah, the premises? So it was a really eye-opening process. I thought it would be, you tell us how much and we maybe get to have a little bit of back and forth. Um, obviously, the, the rental hadn't gone up in uh, eight years. So I knew what the people who were in before paid. So I'm thinking, oh my God, if we can get it for the same, like that's absolutely insane. Of course, it goes up vastly. Um, and it was, well, how much did it go up by? Sorry. I think uh, for, for some of that stuff, the, the landlord sometimes in those cases, so that was a tenant exiting a lease. Uh, he just wanted to get someone in as quickly as possible. Um, so for that, that that's kind of second pop-up essentially, uh, really the landlord was very, very laid back in that in, in, instance. Um, then to get the, the next shop, the flagship store, obviously we were very, very friendly with the tenants who were in there. Ah, um, sorry, yes. And, yeah, so we, we kind of knew what they were paying and it did, like Kat said, that went up quite a lot. Um, and again, to that point where we're sitting there having conversations, we're like, can we do this? Um, you know, the rent, is the rent too high? Then the deposits as well. So usually if you're a small startup business, uh, because of the risk, the landlords will ask for bigger deposits. So right. quite often you'll be paying a six month deposit um, if you want to secure a space. Um, so, you know, you're talking if your rent is in Edinburgh rents for shops, you're probably between 20 and 30,000 pounds a year for the rent. And then, you know, half of that again on top for your, your deposit. And that's all payable, you know, in that mm -hmm. first year. So no, that's not including obviously fit out, which yeah. we can talk about in a minute. Yeah, exactly. Um, to, for the, for the, the getting the shop process, we created, I think it was like a 25 page document, yeah. um, like a presentation so wow. uh, before that, the existing tenant who had, are now very good friends of ours wrote a handwritten letter to the landlord to recommend us for the space. Wow. Because okay. obviously everybody's applying for it. Yeah. To be honest, it's one of the best shops in the city, I think. It's corner facing. It's next to a historical um, Stockbridge Arch that used to be a marketplace. It's a listed building, yeah. south facing, blah, blah, blah. It's fantastic. Um, so... But I didn't even realize that would really be happening. I thought, well, we've been recommended. So we just get to kind of shake their hand and that's it. Yeah. Um, didn't realize that you often don't even meet the landlord. You'll meet with an agent. And I'm thinking, but I'm so good at in-person interaction. Mm. Like what I do is retail. Mm. Um, I need to meet these people. So we did manage to encourage the agent to get us a meeting um, well, we sort of said, like, we please, please, please try and make this happen. I know that five or six people applied for the place, seriously were in the running for the space. They did, after receiving our presentation, asked us if they if we could meet in the space. So, yeah. and I realized that was for, you know, vetting us really to meet us in person. Do we have a good handshake? What was <laughs> like, they were asking things just about our life, you know, yeah. like, where are you, what we what did you used to do for work? What are you doing now? And I guess to see how kind of confident we were and if that felt flaky or not. Um, and I'm walking around the store saying, we'll have this here and we'll have this here. Also, I'm kind of blagging it a bit because <laughs> I know that's what I want to do. But I mean, we've done this in like the space of half a, you know, less than a week. We've pulled this together to have a presentation for you. Um, and interestingly, they used to work in the shop. They had a clothing store in the store that we were then in and they expressed with watery eyes that this was their child the store was the baby and it's very important who takes over the store next and they said which I think you could maybe look at it a bit like luck but I think it was a happy accident that they said we feel really excited about it having clothes hanging in it again and it feels very close to what we ran in here and we feel that the area the community which they're so connected and embedded in needed that again so they thought thought that we could bring that back that part of the store back to life oh that's um, great it's kind of emotional and they yeah. were you know visibly emotional telling this to us and it yeah. really hit home for for us and for me like this is a really really this is a big deal but you I must still think as part of that, you still got to pay your money. So you still have to be, you know, have the rental price that they expect. And the other side of that as well, which, 
something I wouldn't necessarily recommend. But in order to secure it, we had to give a personal guarantee, mm. which effectively means that if Treen goes bankrupt and is unable to pay the rent, we personally will have to pay the rent. And, you know, so for a landlord's point of view, I kind of got that. We were still only six months you know, less than a year old. So it really gives them extra security. Mm-hmm. And then straight after that, we basically signed that lease probably in January 2020. Mm-hmm. And then obviously two months later, COVID hit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So they may have, we're, yeah, we're in one store paying not a lot of rent, but paying. Yeah. And then our, like, when is the payment going to start yeah. for the new one? The, the silver lining there was that the existing tenants couldn't actually move out because of lockdown yeah so theirs kind of keeps running and we're just waiting to jump on after they've moved out so it was yeah definitely was very uncertain very uncertain you'd had your bottle of champagne to to celebrate getting (laughs) the shop and then you're crying into it (laughs) how did you feel was there a moment where you thought oh god when the pandemic came along or was it fleeting i think genuinely and this is one of Kat's super strengths, I would say, is that she reacts very well. And I think we both do, but Kat especially reacts very well to adverse situations. So her background in retail, originally she started working for Abercrombie and Fitch and Hollister. Um, and American companies, I think, are very, very good at putting their employees under stressful situations, but guiding them through it. So I, I do think Kat very much as soon as COVID hit it was all right well what is the plan you know obviously we've got a brilliant website um, and that was very much part of our core strategy when we launched is that we would open this physical space but the website had to go live at the same time right so we had this really really good website ready to go and within a day you know Kat had pivoted basically to all the focus goes on to the website um, we were slightly fortunate that you know we had basically the shop could still be used as a stock room so all these online orders started coming in. Um, you know, we're talking 20, 30 orders a day sometimes. And I think another really important part about that time period, and you'll remember it, was a, a real push to support local. Yes. And I think we really saw that coming through, um, that you know, during that March, April, May 2020, the support the online website received uh, was enormous. And, you know, Again, we had to knock our pans in. I remember Kat, literally our flat, just clothes strewn all across the floor with all the boxes as she's packing up all these online orders in our flat. Mm. And then our delivery man, who then becomes a friend as well because he's there every day, this lovely um, UPS driver, uh, comes and picks up you know these 20, 30 parcels with this little trolley thing every mm. day. So I, I think big positive, We Kat in particular, the reaction to COVID hitting was very strong. We were also very lean at that time as well. You know, we only had Cat plus another employee working part-time. So we were able, I think, very quickly to pivot. Yeah. Yeah. So in the first lockdown, um, the team reminded me of a meeting that we had um, on, so we'd locked down, I can't remember the day of the week it was. I think we found out on Friday that we might lock down on the Monday. I think it was 23rd. So we, I had this meeting and uh, I said, we're, what we're going to do is we're going to pretend that we've never had a shop. So we're just an online retailer. Mm-hmm. So we're just like other online retailers. So shared less imagery of the store. If you can't go into it, we're not going to tease people with the sort of, you know, oh, look how beautiful this space is right now. Or also just, I want it to be um, a place of escapism for our customers and for new customers that we were going to meet. Because, I mean, all, overall, it was seriously depressing i mean we're all totally uncertain what the hell is going on is this forever um you know how do i live my life anymore so i wanted to be this place that they could just come and relax and delve in and read a blog post that we've put up we uh created this a quite a sweet kind of hashtag called take a moment where we were wanting people to just take a moment in their day and we would release things that they can do in their day. So whether it's listening to one of our podcasts or a playlist or anything like that, you can kind of connect with us in that Um, or like have some styling advice. We can have a styling call, things like that. You can just watch and and relax and take your mind off what the hell is going on in the world right now. Um, So that was really fun to do, which I think I'm like, that's a weird quote to say that it was really fun. I do seriously love a challenge and I pride myself on being adaptable and being a chameleon. 
I mean, I'm not going to lie, come second lockdown, it was enough. a bit like, how on <laughs> earth am I supposed to do this again? Yeah. And, you know, how, how can you constantly keep thinking of fresh new ideas over and over and over? Whereas we've spent so much money on a stunning store. That's what we're supposed to be focusing on, plus all of the digital. But just to put this on pause, um, yeah. just quickly, another thing that definitely tied us through and generated so much excitement, because as Harris said, there was this whole like shop local focus, which um, actually prior to lockdown, our store, obviously it's, it's such a, it's a big one on the street, takes up a lot of space and it didn't look great when the work was being done. And I didn't like, I thought it lowered the tone of the street overall. So we had these posters put in that said, we're not open we're going to join the street. We're not open right now, but all these other businesses are. And we it was like a menu of what people in our area do. So like go there for jewelry, go there for the best margarita, go there for um, the best, you know, hand and body lotion or whatever. So that that was fun to do that. And getting we we shared the entire renovation process, which if you follow us, it's we're quite it's quite slick. We love our good photo shoot, definitely have our aesthetic. Um but it was like, fuck it, let's just share the whole thing with everyone. And um, can you help me pick paint colors, guys? This is the clay works that I'm dealing with. Oh, also, like these shoes are going to restock next week. That kind of vibe, like taking people through the space where there was wires hanging from the ceiling the whole lot. Yeah. And obviously, everyone was looking so internally to their spaces at the time that in hindsight, looking back, I was like, oh yeah, it worked really well because we were all yes. locked in a, in walls through doors and that got to give them that take a moment and take a space. People were so invested in, did the lights arrive? Were they the right color? And I was like, oh yeah, they're supposed to arrive tomorrow. Oh my God, what's going on? Um, that was really cool. And it meant that it was the perfect tee up for when we did finally reopen. I mean, I cannot describe to you our first weekend. It was... Mm incredible i've never seen so many people i i couldn't have imagined that many people coming in and out of our door um i don't actually know how many orders we did over those two days but it was local um and i think that was generated from actually not talking about fashion at all but more talking about just do you want to come hang out with us for a bit and let's do community together yeah Interesting. And so so the lockdown, it's it's really interesting how this lockdown and pandemic has had an effect on everyone. But for you, it was, you could then focus on the e-commerce facility and making that brilliant, and then focus on building the community, which is really strange. And then doing your shop up, it's almost mm. like a, 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 a perfect moment. And then open open this lovely shop. Yeah. And um, you know, to, to have the pandemic, it was you're never going to want to close your store. We closed two days this week to have our floors sanded and polished. And you're sitting there biting your nails like, I hate being closed because we can't sell to people in, pe- in person. Back then, we just had to be shut. Yeah. So you can't get annoyed at anyone. It's a pandemic. You're forced to be closed. So we might as well do the renovation. Yeah. And, and so you said the big one of the biggest challenges was getting the shop. Yeah. How about the whole digital side? Because... And, and what bits do you outsource? What bits do you do yourself, like the photography? I, I imagine there's quite a bit of investment there, but also in building the e-commerce platform. Did you do that yourself or did you get help? Um, it's funny because everyone now, again, I think thinks they can just set up a website and start selling stuff. And I, I do think platforms like Shopify have made it easier for people to you know, launch a product and sell it online. Um, we use Shopify. It's a fantastic system and software. Um, it's end to end across both our store and the web shop, and it all integrates very well. We put a lot of effort into researching what would be the best system to go across both store and online. But no, it's not easy. You know, Shopify is quite a complex system to learn. Uh, we've got hundreds, you know, sometimes close to almost thousands of. Uh, products, including the different sizes. So there's a lot of information that needs to go up there. You then need to be uploading all the images, writing product descriptions. There's a huge amount of effort that goes into running an online shop. And I think Kat is an absolute expert at running a physical store. That's been what our whole career has been about. 
I think we were both slightly shocked about how much effort was required to run an online store. And basically what we have come to learn is if you have a full-time store manager, you also need a full-time online manager if you want your online shop to sell as much as your store does. Mm. And so currently we don't have that. We're really focusing on just getting the store nailed over the next, I guess, 12 months. And then I think when we first launched, though, we tried to do everything in tandem. And I, I think I would perhaps not recommend other people to do that unless you have significant amounts of money to... I guess neither Kat or I had that e-commerce skill set, essentially. And it's an expensive skill set to hire, but I think it's one that is absolutely necessary. If you want to run an online shop, you either have to do a hell of a lot of the learning yourself or you're going to have to hire a person. Mm. You know, So we knew nothing about SEO. We know nothing about ads. We know nothing really about how to drive traffic to a website. You're just trying to learn that on mm. the job. And it's not as easy as the Stephen Bartlett podcast where you listen to people say it's not as easy as some people have found it. And I even, I, I love the Gymshark uh, podcast. I think it's Ben Francis, the founder of Gymshark, um, on Stephen Bartlett. You know, he managed to scale his business to 20 million plus um, online uh, before he's, he really started looking externally at getting big investment and all that kind of stuff. I think... It's incredibly difficult to do that. I think he is a one in a million kind of person to be able to do that um, without yeah, really getting lucky in some ways that all of a sudden maybe something you sell gets really, really popular and all of a sudden people are dragged to your website. Mm. Yeah, I think the way I would describe the digital side, I don't know, the word that comes to mind is like relentless and it's weird because... I did, you know, the pop-up, for example, is like every single day, 10 till 6, no days off. It's the same story over and over. That to me would sound relentless, but was the, the fulfillment that you get from that is, say we have 500 website sessions a day. If 500 people came into the store, I think my conversion rate would be like 80%. Yeah. But on the on the website, it's, it's far away from you. So mm -hmm. you're constantly like, how do we recreate what we deliver in the store, which is the scent is, is spot on and tailored to us. The music, you can touch the fabric, which particularly in sustainable fashion mm. sells itself. Um, I mean, you walk in, touch a t-shirt, the price is the second question after that. It's not, well, why, why is it 35 pounds? Why is it 40 pounds? And so how are you recreating that? There's also someone live speaking to you wearing the thing that you're you're that you're potentially interested in and looking at that can model it for you and say oh, I actually took the size down funnily enough because it's a Danish brand and they like relaxed clothing all of these things how do you add that in and create that in a platform that isn't wasting customers time and is also isn't overwhelming so that we still find a, a challenge and yeah. I think we always will anyone I speak to about online I feel people are more honest after lockdown about it is it's just it's hard it's yeah. really hard to find those people um, but I will say that yeah so at the moment you asked about team are we we have gone through different elements of team we had a fantastic agency help us to launch uh, really the brand in full so worked on our branding our our mailers um, it was cool to work with one agency. It was just two individuals. So it was quite close, like tight relationship that we had with them. So the end to end of what's the customer experience going to be when they're purchasing from our website and maybe they found us through Instagram. So how will that connect? Um, and we, at the moment, we manage the rest of the website. And so that was how we launched. Now it we is, we've gone through a head of marketing role. We've gone through having like a marketing uh, e-commerce blended role. I, that, I feel that's always up for argument. They're two very different things. Yes, of course they are connected, but it is an enormous ask for yeah. somebody to straddle those two elements. But then obviously if you're paying two salaries as well, different question. Yeah. So at the moment we've gone leaner and we're kind of taking things back. We're all back in house. We have external agency purely working on our email marketing. So newsletters and blogs for the website, which connect um, very simply. And we work on everything else in house and we'll keep building back out from there. But the dream is to have a, an e-commerce manager. Mm. So someone that can manage it and 
live and breathe it in the same way that somebody would in the physical sense, and yeah. then that they can communicate to each other about analytics and bestsellers. I think um, part of the problem when you set up a small business as well is that you don't necessarily get, you, you get a lot of support, but sometimes some critical advice is probably lacking because people just don't know necessarily. No one in your network knows. And I think what I have found, and I work with quite a few small businesses, is there's been an explosion over the last five years in people basically saying, you need to do online marketing, you need to do digital marketing. And all of a sudden, this marketing role has become absolutely critical, apparently, to small businesses. And my view very much on that is that it is another salary you have to carry. And if the returns are not immediate, it then becomes very difficult to sustain that marketing cost. You know, so you're maybe having to spend on ads. You're maybe having to pay a social media manager. You then maybe need to pay someone to write your newsletters and blogs. Very often, those people do not have all those skill sets. And I think we're in a world right now where lots of uh, digital agencies are setting up. When you go on Instagram or LinkedIn, you're getting hammered constantly about building online presence and you know, growing your e-commerce brand. And I think people are trying to make it sound easy and that if you spend money on marketing or on a marketing agency, you will get returns. And I just think that is so far from the reality, um, but it's getting shoveled a lot at the moment. I think I have quite a big problem with that where it's easy to say you can get results and then not deliver them. And if you're an agency, you can just walk away. You've collected your fee and not delivered any results. Whereas the business owners then thinking, well, I've just had to spend £3,000 and I've got nothing to show for it. Yeah, I, I know that story a few times. And as you say, the agency gets you for a year or six months and then takes their fee and you're, you're, you might have to even undo what the work they've done and go back to basic. And is, can we touch on sort of the sourcing side as well? And how, do you do you have to build up similar relationships like you, you were talking, Kat, about the high street and, and getting to know your neighbours? Is it similar with your suppliers? Very, actually, yeah. So have really close relationships with everybody that we collaborate with and who we offer um, through Treen. It was it was a really nice, I think, particularly because of our values as a business. Um, the businesses that I was reaching out to and connecting with, bear in mind, this is before we've even launched at all. So I'm saying, hi, my name's Kat. I have an idea. Here's a couple of like sketches or you know, images of what it will look like, I promise. Um, I'd love to stock your brand. How about it? And, you know, so for those people to come back to me with a welcoming attitude and say, you know, they're there with open arms to be like, yes, love this idea. So excited that someone else is getting involved in the sustainable um, fashion industry. Let's do this. Love your idea. I've obviously worked in fashion for years, not necessarily in the buying side or the sourcing side, but I'm aware that it can be very exclusive at times and it can be quite harsh on people and not as friendly as maybe it all sounds when we're talking about styling and, and you know, the kind of more fluffy sides of things. It can be quite cutthroat, quite, quite, cutthroat, quite mm. prickly. So I was very pleasantly surprised that people mm. were there with open arms. I do think that has a lot because we were sharing the same values. We're barking up the same tree ultimately. So I help you, you help me. We work towards this giant mission of change the change the fashion industry for the better. Um, and it obviously fast forward a couple of years now, we for some of them, I've worked with uh, agents. Some agents I've worked in one agency and then oh, no. another. Some we've I've worked with the same person since day one and they've watched us go from pop-up. They've obviously seen our order size go from like, five styles oh. to 50 which is really cool and really exciting to like have that relationship with them so definitely very similar to um the story process is the sourcing i think as well for suppliers it, importantly at the business planning stage uh obviously we we created some values that our su suppliers should have or our own values and obviously then 
you're only really wanting to work with suppliers that fit those values. So I think to a certain extent, that makes CAT's job easier sometimes um, because people will come to CAT all the time now. Um, it's amazing at the start, you have to go out and find suppliers. Now CAT gets emails every week of people obviously saying, can you stock my stuff? But it's very easy for her to say, look, that that side of your business doesn't necessarily fit in with my values and Treen's values. So the answer is no. Um, and I think that's happened, uh, you know, over the over the four years, some suppliers have come and gone because potentially values have changed or we're maybe enforcing our values slightly more as well. But I think having that roadmap and being quite clear on your principles helps you with suppliers. And just a question on sort of financials and, and things like that with suppliers. Do you, do you have to buy a load of their stock and then take on all the risk? Or are there clever ways you can kind of share the risk or things like that? So, again, setting up a business, I think uh, we haven't touched much on financials, but obviously from the getting a store, paying the deposit, um, that's just the start. You then need to fit out the store, which is tens and tens of thousands of pounds to fit out a store to a you know, a high level if you're going to use that store for the next 10 years. So one of my warnings I always say to people now is whatever your fit out budget is, double it. And however long you think it's going to take, double that as well. Um, so you need all that cash. And then, yes, when you are setting up and starting out, your suppliers want payment up front for the stock. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, to fill the store initially, we needed about 30 to 40,000 pounds of stock. Um, and so, yeah, we had to go out and buy all of that up front. You're paying for it before it's even been shipped. Um, this as well is pre-Brexit era as well. So a lot of our suppliers were Scandinavian and German. So thankfully back then, pre-Brexit, you'd place an order on a Friday and the stock would arrive on Monday. Um, if we had to set up the business now, post-Brexit, you place an order on a Friday and then hope in three Fridays' time, you'll be lucky if the stock arrives in three weeks' time. Mm -hmm. And you'll um, be paying for duty upfront yeah. as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we do. you do purchase the product, take the risk. The interesting, as Harris said, you pay upfront. That's more to establish, I'm legit. I'm in your bank account now. Yeah. And then after that time, you get moved on to... Um, depends on the brand, but some of them move you onto a net 30 days. So you can then order, you've gained trust with them through payments. So then you can order and pay 30 days after. So it's quite good to get stuff in, get selling it, and it will aid, that will be like an injection into the invoice that you'll pay a month after that. Some are pro forma. So a, a, it's interesting, a lot of the smaller brands, I understand that they just have to be. A lot of the smaller brands are pay up front. Um, so it's, you know, it's, I guess, selfishly it's cool for us when we see some of the companies we saw grow um they're like we're really excited to share with you that we now have net 60 days and you're like ah oh, i'll take yeah. twice the lot then yeah um, and it does work you order more because you have more time to sell it i'm like oh we've got two events in that time so we need more stock for those events yeah. and you can put more focus on that brand yeah. um yeah, it's great. So from a business point of view, if you obviously get your stock and then still have to, you've got 50 days before you've paid for it. You know, a lot of our best sellers, we maybe have sold through all of that stock, um, you know, made our margin on it, then we can pay. That is a great business model when it works. Mm -hmm. um, Brexit slightly, unfortunately, uh, obviously they issue an invoice and it's net 60 days from maybe when they ship it. Um as I said previously, we would arrive that, that receive that stock two or three days after shipment. Now it can be three or four weeks, which obviously eats into your number of days before yeah. you have to pay that invoice. So it's thirty days from in from invoice. So I'll get an email. Your order is begins now, yeah. and I'm like, well, I, I, I ain't got it. And then yeah, like as Shara said, with Brexit, mm. it was a who's right and who's wrong. And mm. I'm going to these brands like, well, I would. And, you know, it put our, a lot of relationships to the test because how are you politely saying, can you stop sending me the payment reminders? Because I have nothing. Yeah. So one, I don't even have the 30 days to try and make a tiny bit of what I'll put into this invoice anymore. I have stock. This is happening across like 20 plus of our brands. I've got basically nothing in the shop to sell. You're all begging me to pay you. And I haven't even got it yet. Um, but who's right and wrong? That's where the couriers were under so much pressure because they couldn't, they didn't have the workforces to get out 
the invoices for duty quick enough. So we were just, our parcels were in a queue and then we're receiving one of five. So I'm getting one small in the pink top and two mediums in the green one and it's all random yes so also how do you put that how do you market that how do you get your customers to kind of understand and whilst you're saying to them we really need you to buy right now so we can you know keep things moving and keep the keep the cash flow going um so that was particularly stressful like more stressful than lockdown maybe because it just was like what the actual flying fuck is going on and whereas in lockdown you were like okay so we are you could wake up every day and be like so we are locked down and this is what we're doing with our community right now you could plan whereas this was just like yeah and it did put a lot of strain on the relationships um with our suppliers but you know obviously things have been figured out now and again goes back to their values and our values shared that they have figured out ways around it a lot of them have bank accounts in the uk now which make payments easier it reduces all the tax that we pay all this kind of stuff is is a helpful thing um for for being a supplier i i think uh obviously we are scottish as well so i think that the maybe opinion on brexit is slightly different in scotland versus what it is sometimes in england and other parts of the uk but uh I think very much the cost of Brexit on small businesses is not being really talked about as much as potentially it, it could be. Because uh, like Kat said, it by far has probably been the biggest challenge to the business. And that sounds ridiculous to say, given that we went through COVID. Mm, yeah. But in terms of delays to stock, uh, obviously releasing of parcels, you have to pay the duty. Mm-hmm. You have to pay that before they, they'll release the parcels mm-hmm. quite often. So oh, one month in, I think it was like a February, you know, not the best time of year for any any form of retail. We paid something like £20,000 in, yeah. in customs invoices. Wow. Where is that Where is that coming from? Yeah. <laughs> you've just finished Christmas. You've gone into sale. You're supposed to have new product in, you know, pretty quickly we're locked down so the shop's not even open and everyone's a bit like because that's the second lockdown we locked down on what was it boxing day yeah. and everyone's a bit like well, what's the point yeah. and we're just getting it was just invoice after invoice after invoice not even for technically for product but literally just to ship it yeah. um so that was that was the probably one point in the last few years where i was like i don't actually know if yeah. this is the new normal, I don't know how we're going to make this work. Yeah. Because then you're thinking, okay, we need to improve on our margins. We need to do our own brand product. Well, all the money that was saved for that is basically going to just get product in the country. So yeah, that was very particularly stressful. Um, yeah. But so yes, yeah, so, so that is really, really an interesting to hear all about all these different elements to your business and, and so in so much detail as well. Like, so taking your life of your Hong Kong life, corporate life, Hmm. uh, swimming in swimming pools, drinking, whatever. Yeah, we had a bowling alley in our apartment. Oh, love, a bowling alley, wow. (laughs) In a building, not in our actual. (laughs) Pretty nice, (laughs) yeah. yeah, Particularly love bowling. Um, And you're here now um, running Treen. Um, What's been, what's been worth it? What's, what's your sort of thinking now then has it been worth it and what are some of the moments that you think you really enjoy about what you've done Mm -hmm. for I mean like the big question has it been worth it a thousand a thousand times yes um I think for me as I was listening to you ask that question there the like the the fulfillment that it brings me like I feel very fulfilled because of my values becoming the brand values I can see it has arms and legs so I mean how that's helped people um make changes in their life or how happy some of the product makes them then learning more about sustainable fashion industry and ultimately like our our big big mission you know the, the universal goal is to be the change that we want to see in the fashion industry to make it a better place to think that what I do and what we do in Treen plays a part in that is an amazing feeling. Yeah. Uh, so that that makes me feel really happy. Yeah. Um, the, it, yeah, there is a lot that goes like, uh, I really miss 
my amazing salary that I used to have. <laughs> like we aren't loads, we worked hard and played very hard in Hong Kong. Yeah. You, you can't really do that at the stage we're at anyway of growing our business. You can, I don't know when you would have the time of day, but yeah, I still, I just use the energy that I used to put into things that were, I guess, quite materialistic or kind yeah. of like short lived. Mm -hmm. And I remember getting to the point of sort of thinking, when I, you know, when I'm older and thinking, what have I done? Will I remember this time that I went to this bar? Will I remember this time that I did, you know, this yeah. like fun thing? Probably not. It's like travel is important. Being inspired is important. Surrounding yourself with people that empower you is important. And doing something that you care so much about is important. Yeah. Um, so I invest my time in that more now. Which is which I think is great. And I, I would agree very much. I think we enjoy our lives. So we, I, I know when I worked in a corporate environment, you'd get that Sunday evening fear, Sunday afternoon fear, where you're like, oh, God, I've got to go back to work on Monday. Mm -hmm. We definitely do not get that. Like, I look forward to Mondays now. But to be a maybe slightly, I'm an accountant, Scottish accountant, after all, and son of a farmer. So I'm inherently probably quite negative. It's not for the faint-hearted, as in we've made sacrifices but sacrifices versus what our life used to be and i think that is something and that's why i think this podcast is great is that um you hear a lot about success stories and a lot of those success stories are built on enormous amounts of sacrifice and hard work i think it's very important to say that you can't really set up a business if you're not willing to sacrifice and work quite hard and i, I think it very much is a scale as well that your level of sacrifice and your level of hard work probably does correlate to the success of your business. And I think, unfortunately, there'll be a lot of small business owners where they do knock their pan in week after week after week and maybe don't get the rewards that they deserve or that they, they want. But there'll be reasons behind that as well. And I think sometimes it's, it's hard in a small business because you know it's all on me, as in the success or the result of this business is on us. And we will work really hard and we have made sacrifices, but tree might still not work. Yeah. And that can be a bit frustrating sometimes. And I think it's that's probably that element of pressure that you do not have in a corporate world where it is like we worked very, very hard, but you get paid very well and you can have a good life. You sleep at night. You can sleep at night. We work very, very hard, don't necessarily get paid as we as well as we used to. And at the end of the day, the success of this business is directly linked to us and what we can do. So it's a lot, it's a lot of weight to carry. It's a lot of responsibility. Um, on bad days, of course, that's it's if I hadn't behaved this way or, or made that decision, this wouldn't be happening. It's my fault. But on the great days, yeah. um, it's like, this is because of me. Yeah. This is because of our decisions that we've made and something that I did to uh, yeah, directly impact this, this like, like getting the store. You know, thank goodness I asked the girl for that ladder. Thank goodness we connected with customers in the store in our first three months who we still see today. Yeah. Um, but I think the biggest part is, and we talk about this as a couple a lot, is purpose. And I think if you can create something that generates a purpose for you, like, why am I even here? And that's what we were lacking so much and why we left our previous jobs is because it was just like, but why? Why am I doing this? Why am I working so hard? Why am I connected with this business? Like kind of almost like what's on my tombstone type thing. Like what is the purpose and what is the point? And we've managed to create something, I think, that gives us purpose. Yeah. Um, that which, is, feels, which feels really, that's, that's yeah, it's, it's a good thing. Yeah. And I, I think if you're looking at it as we did sitting at our corporate desk and you, and you maybe do sometimes think the grass is greener, obviously, for people who run their own businesses. But I think it's important to note that the vast majority of businesses in the UK are, are what's called micro businesses. You know, they're very, very small, you know, probably less than 10 employees, less than a million pounds of turnover. And there is a reason for that and that it's incredibly hard to scale businesses above a million pounds of turnover. From my corporate background, I always assumed roughly one person can manage 10 people. 
So if you're wanting to get over a million pounds of turnover, you need to start managing 20 people maybe. And that's extraordinarily difficult. And I think not everyone has the skill sets to do that. And I think, again, that's why I love the concept behind this podcast so much, because it's all right not to want to scale your business to 20 people. Mm. It's all right to say 10 is enough and a million pounds is enough because I've actually built a business that I love and my life's pretty good. Um, And I think right now we're getting enormous amounts thrown down our throats that now you need to scale your business and it needs to be big and it needs to employ Mm -hmm. lots of people and you need to be millionaires and you need to drive fancy Mm -hmm. cars. That's not the reality for 95% of business owners in the UK. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, social media plays a really big part in that. I think of this like Instagram versus reality um, type thing, shiny things, the big heart, all of that. Um, And a lot of business podcasts that are out there, like you were saying of, it's just, why can't I be more like them? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the famous person who obviously has time to to then do the PR for their business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ultimately, I think it's, if you can find something that you feel that purpose for and make it work for your life, which is the hardest part, because you have to figure out what what is what does that look like, if that is growing, or if that is just that you make 100 grand a year or 50 grand a year and pay your employees well, if you can make that work. I think that's really exciting. I agree. Thank you. And I I found that really, really interesting. I love your honesty and your passion. There's loads of advice in there. And I can totally see how you guys can make Trim work. So thank you very much, Kat and Harris. Thank you. Thank you. Really enjoyed it. Yeah.